This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. That is Jay King from The Athletic, <laughs> Mr. Barbecue Sauce himself. He is B. Brian Rob. I messed that up. Brian B. Rob Rob from MassLive.com. I am Sam Jam Packard, and together we are still part of all the best Boston Celtics podcast. You are listening to the free Monday edition of Still Potable, but we are here Monday through Friday. And so if you want more, you can go to patreon.com slash still potable and join in us for the rest of the week. We got the kids at $5. That'll get you two more podcasts. Or if you want to lock in every day, you can become a god for $10 a month and join us every day, Monday through Friday. And if you are really part of the Still Potable community, you can become a legend and be here right with us for every single podcast. Joining us, participation, uh, everything that makes this podcast fun, you can be there. But we are here as we are every Sunday night or every Monday morning to do a little potable six-pack. That's when Brian, Jay, and I talk about the six most important things, most interesting most noteworthy things that happened in the last week of Boston Celtics basketball. We have four games to choose from, two losses, uh, first against the Timberwolves and the 76ers on the road, and then back-to-back wins over the Nets and the Toronto Raptors. I obviously won last week, so I will decide the order. I'm going to go first, then we'll do a snake order. We'll figure Ooh, it out. I'll go pick. J second, B-Rob third, fourth, and J, and then back to me. First pick. Jason Tatum, 12 pounds of muscle. I mean. <laughs> Come on. When will he, it end? When he, will it end? Lead, his, really, like, the, the 12 pounds of muscle are clearly the reason why he leads the league in individual plus minus this year. And, frankly, his plus 42, I think, against the Raptors is absolutely absurd. And I just think it's like, if you have to think about, like, what, is this team is just Jason Tatum being dominant. And I actually think it creates kind of an issue with, they still have kind of struggled to figure out points or how to score without Jason Tatum. And I actually think they switched the kind of substitution pattern where earlier in the year, it was Jason Tatum and Derek white were the kind of first two subs off the bench. And that would leave this kind of Jalen drew kind of pairing to try and figure it out. That didn't work. And so now it's uh, Drew and Jason Tatum are the first ones off the bench. And now it's this Derek White, Jalen Brown pairing. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think is the best kind of way to score points without having Jason Tatum be on the floor? Because it feels like they're still trying to figure out. Uh, and they've been trying to figure it out for the past five years. So, B-Rob, I know you might have figured out that the 12 pounds of muscle was just a way to get into talking about this topic. But what do you think is the best kind of uh, – way for the Celtics to score without uh with Jason Tatum's on the bench. Yeah, there's I think there's a lot of experimentation there. I wouldn't mind seeing like uh them lean into Derek Drew Porzingis um and shooter type lineup there. I don't know necessarily like the earlier turns on the Al Porzingis pairing haven't been great on a plus minus standpoint. It's a pretty small sample there, so it's tough to like um, get too much of that. But you wonder now, like in the past, you stagger Jason and Jalen because you obviously stagger them because that's you need playmaking on both sides. But now when you have more options for playmakers, I wonder if, you know, you leave a little less on Jalen there. You like let try to let 
Holiday, Porzingis, Derek White, Cookmore together in those non-Tatum minutes, and then maybe get the best out of Jalen too if you play him mostly with Tatum. I don't know. Like that, that's something I'm curious about to see as a lineup look as they kind of mix and match here. Yeah, I think they they know they can go to the Tatum and bench lineup, right. and they know that it'll work, and they know like if if they really need to juice the bench a little bit that's the way to do it like just play tatum with those guys we saw it in the raptors game he came in and just totally worked over the raptors for that second quarter and it was him with the bench he found hauser a few times he found al horford with an awesome bounce pass and that whole stretch when the celtics started to gain separation from toronto was just jason tatum dissecting their defense time after time and he's shown that for years, like even when he was young in his career, even before he became an all-NBA player, him and bench lineups has always even been. Even when he was 12 pounds lighter. <laughs> I hate you. I really do. <laughs> even when he was 12 pounds lighter, he's always been the able to take like Shemi Ojale and Grant Williams when before Grant Williams could shoot to, to very good plus minuses. Um, but yeah, the, I think having Porzingis on the floor during non-Tatum minutes would probably help matters. Um, I just feel like you can run offense through Porzingis and he can create two-on-one advantages for you because he's big, he can shoot, and he makes the game easier for everybody else. And that's, Tatum does it in different ways, but that's how the bench is super successful with him because he creates those advantages where you have to help and you have to rotate as a defense and then he picks you apart with it uh porzingis isn't at that level that he is but because of his combination of size and skill he puts defenses into predicaments um and we've seen some pretty good stretches with porzingis in the bench he doesn't always play with that group but i want to see more of it um and it might be especially if the al and Porzingis duo isn't great, and we don't know if it is yet. Uh, but if it's not great, that it's tough to play him with the bench more often. But I think that's that's like I would try to run more through Porzingis when Tatum isn't on the court because I think he's your best offensive player other than Tatum, including Jalen, even though he's a better scorer. Yeah, I think it's just about being more deliberate of like, okay, Tatum's not on the floor. Let's make sure we're running some sort of action high pick and roll with Chris Tapps, whether it's Jalen Brown um, kind of being the ball handler or it's Derek White or it's Drew Holiday, whatever the combination is, but just being kind of more intentional about trying to get the ball to or just playing through Chris Tapps. Then I think uh, one thing about the Tatum with the bench lineups that worked obviously more uh, better against the Nets and Raptors just because they have less defensive talent there. But I think the the bench lineups were much more um, intentional about just getting him the ball and kind of just like trying to make things work. Whereas against kind of the tougher defenses like Philly and the Timberwolves, there was just a bunch of possessions where there's Tatum in the bench, but we saw a lot of like Peyton Pritchard trying to figure it out, which um, it feels like with the Tatum bench lineup, there's like a very much a clear strategy of what they want to do with Tatum's on when he's not on the floor, it feels like they're they're still not exactly clear exactly what they're trying to do. And it, I think you're right, Jay, that it should kind of just be more Chris Tapps focused with um, Jalen doing more stuff off ball, which I thought he did really well uh, against the Raptors with like the 75 different dunks he had. Oh, yeah. And honestly, like this is always a talking point, how much worse the Celtics are without Tatum on the court. But that's just how every team is. Because Jason Tatum's really player. good. <laughs> you know, like like when when the best player isn't on the court, that team craters just because that's how it goes. Like Jokic isn't out there, they stink. Or they did last year at least. They're they've been better this year. When Stephen Curry isn't on the court, the Warriors have traditionally just been awful. Like you go through every team and there's a huge discrepancy when the best player is on versus off. So it's something to talk about. I um, mean, it's, and it's certainly something for the coaching staff to consider. And like, you have to manage those minutes well when Tatum's not on the court, but also to some extent, like there's just going to be a significant drop off because Tatum does so much for the team 
from rebounding to defending to setting plays up to scoring. Like he just does everything. But this team shouldn't be like as weak as those other teams, just considering like the talent they have. Like the first substitution, Tatum and one starter comes out, and they still have like I guess on uh, Friday and or I guess Saturday night when they had their full lineup, they still had Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, and Chris Tapps Porzingis on the floor with, uh, I guess, Hauser and Horford. Like, that should still be a very potent lineup. I think don't think there should be as much of a discrepancy. Obviously, Jason Tatum's good, and the numbers are going to be better when he's on the court. But, it, like, this team, given their depth, given their frontline talent, shouldn't have as much of a falloff as kind of teams in the past where it just felt like it was – uh, only Jason Tatum, I, I, but I agree that. But like you know, Drew Holiday played with Giannis last year, and they didn't have a great offense. Chris Porzingis was in Washington, and they stunk. <laughs> you know, and so when you really look at the impact of like the very, very best players, there's always a significant fall off. But you're right; they should be able to manage those minutes better. They have higher top end talent than they have since Kyrie was there around Tatum and it was funny because Tatum was asked about it the other night and he he said uh yeah the the this is probably the best depth since my second season and he's like but we weren't very good then (laughs) (laughs) Terry Rozier as our eighth guy it was not not that good they were loaded they were were, loaded it was was the problem people were upset about not getting playing time Marcus Morris was there tapping refs on the ass good times he wasn't having any fun. Remember that quote? Kyrie, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Horford, Morris, Rozier, Smart, Baines. Like, Robert oh. Williams was like the, the – like, he was on that team, right? Yeah, I don't think – yeah, he, he wasn't, he wasn't playing at all, I would assume. Tice was on that squad, I think, and he was one of the last guys on the bench. Like They were loaded. But they stuck, as J- Jason Tatum suggested. All right, let's take a break here to hear from our sponsor, FanDuel. Score early this NFL season of FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about fan, joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options. You can do spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts 21 and present. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050. For 24-7 support, play it smart from the start, GameSenseMA.com, or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And now back to the show. Uh, My pick. (laughs) Yes, your pick. First pick. My pick. I'm going to go with Kristaps Porzingis' acclimation. I just think the way that they're trying to use him, um, sometimes they haven't done it right. (laughs) Sometimes they have. Was the Minnesota game this week? Yes. Yes. It was, yeah. So, like, that game, they probably should have used him in the action. Got Gobert in the action. They did not. And they just kind of went ISO. They stopped passing. They were just disgusting, despicable in the in overtime of that game. Um, then you see the Nets game. They're super tiny. And you'd probably guess that he would score a lot of points, but he just does all the little things instead. Like he rolls and draws help. He posts up Spencer Dinwiddie. They help on him. He finds O'Shea Brissett. Brissett swings it to Sam Hauser for a three, or he draws a double and fires it over to Jason Tatum for a three. Like his willingness to do the little things to help an offense can probably go unnoticed sometimes but it's been super helpful for the Celtics. And the fact that he had four shot attempts in that game and wasn't mad about it and then came back the next night against Toronto, had 21 points, 
I just feel like his willingness to just be a part of the cog and to open up everybody else is going to be one of the defining traits of this team if he can stay like that the whole season. And, you know, looking back at his history, it was probably fair to wonder if he was going to be like that. The last time he played with a great, great player was with Luca, and there were obvious issues there. He didn't love it there. Um, and so, I, you know, it, I think it was fair to wonder how he's going to handle the nights when he has four shot attempts and I thought it was perfect. He just kept doing the right thing, making the right play, opening up other guys. And and so you like that. And you like that, you know, the Minnesota game, they went away from him down the stretch. It didn't bother him. Uh, and he's kind of said, like, as long as we're playing the right way, I don't care if it results in shot attempts for me. I don't I don't care. And he's he's kind of lived up to that so far and it's super early. They're seven and two. They haven't really dealt with adversity yet, although they did lose two games in a row, but that mentality to me, just from such an important guy on the team and a new guy on the team who's has a, the lowest usage rate of his career so far, including when he was a rookie in New York, um, that stuff could frustrate you at times. And he hasn't shown any of that. And so, yeah, Porzingis, we'll, we'll, we'll name him number two. He just seems so happy to be here. Like, we, like every time, every press conference, like, clearly he played with Luca, but he hasn't had – this is – he's, like, by far the best team he's, he's ever played on. And I think that, combined with where he's at in his career, is making him more likely to do everything you just described here. Like, they, they kind of got him at the perfect time where – he made his money. He had a chance to be like the number one or the number two on all these spots and things went pretty ugly in a lot of them. And now he's just ready to like, you know, do buy in and like take hard coaching from Joe and, or, you know, just try to take eight shots a night because that's the best thing for the team. And that to get a guy like that with his kind of skills is obviously it's like a huge boon for this team right now. I feel like Joe's been raving about him. I don't know if it's just been the questions he's being asked, but it feels like any opportunity Joe has to talk about Chris Tapps is like, yeah, loves coaching, does everything right. No one talks about all the little things he does. And so uh, clearly Bazooka Joe's a big fan of Chris Tapps. Poor thing. It's, I'm a but, big fan of Chris but I Tapps. Think that's, I think that's also because he knows he's asking Chris Tapps to sacrifice a lot. Right, 100%. And Chris Tapps isn't going to get the touches he's used to, the shots he's used to. And so – Joe is coaching him to be like, you have to be okay with this. And then, so when he does it, of course, Joe has to be like, this is, this is awesome. And tell everyone what he did the other night, even while shooting four times was super helpful to our team's success. And so I, I feel like that's, that's part of the coaching too, is like just kind of patting him on the head when, when he's doing what he's supposed to do, because it, it is a tough ask. Um, and it's not always going to be easy for him. He's not always going to be used the way that he's used to. Do you think Chris Taps is like kind of making up for not having like the shots every night just by getting as many new technical fouls as possible? <laughs> like he's got. He is a uh, big technical foul guy. He's a technical foul guy, and he seems to just laugh it off. But he's gotten throwing a ball through the room, uh, through the rim, hanging on the rim, flopping. Uh, Every different technical foul he could get, he's gotten. And he just seems to be having fun out there. Uh, there was a moment in the Raptors game where he tried to throw a very audacious behind-the-back pass to Jalen that was intercepted, and it looked like Joe was uh, furious with I him. I thought Joe was pissed at it. <laughs> I, I, it was some amateur lip-reading from Corrales sitting next to me said he was going to get him the fuck out of the game, but then he just stayed in the game. So I don't know what to feel about the Chris Tapps experience, but he seems to be very much enjoying himself. Even after getting the text, he's just like coming back to the bench and laughing. And then, you know, anytime he gets interviewed, he pulls over a chair and it's funny because uh, he's tall, tall guy fun, sits in a chair. Fun, fun little detail. The uh, Celtic Sam Hauser has a Chris Stapps impersonation. And it involves him winking and like, like pointing sort of. And, and they kept doing Pritchard kept calling for Hauser to do it. And and it, it was it was pretty spot on. Like it, he had a little little bit of Chris Stapps to him. And Chris Stapps was like, I, I don't have the arm thing. 
and Pritchard was like, yeah, you do, man. Like, that's pretty on point. <laughs> so that's, that's a that's great just detail. A tiny little thing. Is he a big um, winker, and, though? Is like winking yeah, part oh, of his yeah. games? He's a big time winker. I did not know that about him. He's a winker. You'll, you'll notice from now on that, that he winks a little bit. Um, and then I want to go back to the usage that he has because it's interesting and his shots haven't been high. His usage has been super low, but he's always involved. And I think that's part of the reason why he's probably okay with it too. Like he's always involved in screening actually, except for the end of the Minnesota game. Like he's in the middle of the action, whether they throw it to him, whether he's shooting the shots or not, they are using him to draw a lot of attention and to be a, a focal point of the offense. So it's it's just going to be interesting to see how that evolves. And from night to night, I don't think he's going to have the same touches or opportunities, but he's super important to what they do, and he makes the game so much easier for everybody else. Is usage a bullshit, bullshit, bullshit statistic? Like, B-Rob, I think of you as an analytics guy, but, like, that feels like it describes – way more than it actually does because what is usually actually come down to it's like uh you taking a shot it's just or shots an assist, or, or, or an assist or yeah, you're involved or a turnover exactly you're involved in the ending of the play somehow to various varying degrees so it i actually think out of analog stats like i think that's an as like it doesn't lie like it tells a pretty good story there compared to other ones like that have more complicated um but it doesn't capture his impact on like against the Nets where it's like he's involved in all the screen and they give him all the attention. I guess there's no real way to quantify that statistically. Um, I don't know. I was just gravity. Didn't didn't people (laughs) quantify gravity sometime in some paper research paper or something like that? Yeah. Sir Isaac. I bet his gravity is, is way up there among the top, honestly. To track the screens. No, you're right. There is, there should be some usage involving, Setting screens would probably be that's the next frontier Packard. You just came up with uh, the next analytic here. Um, all right, I got I got, the, I got two here. I'm going. You you brought him up, Jay. So I'm gonna, I'll start him off here. Sam Hauser developing to the most consistent member of the bench. Um, you know this wasn't him hitting a lot of shots. Isn't a big surprise. He shot 41 percent last year and pretty good usage, 16 minutes per game. Had obviously a little slow start out of the gate this year, but now like what a week for him. Um, literally, you know, easily the best bench player of the week, probably one of the best four players on the team this week. When you talk about consistent shooting, have them stay in that Philly game. And now, I mean, this is a, this is a huge deal for this team when you have Pritchard, you know, who's been up and down out of the gate with Al Horford is still struggling with his from three. So you're getting something from him and you're seeing the minutes kind of go up with it. He's up to, 20 minutes per game now he's i think he's gonna get pushed up into the mid 20s a lot um going forward on nights where they have it because it's like it's kind of like the perfect fit of a player around these star type guys in the starting lineup because he stays in his lane he takes threes he doesn't turn the ball over he holds his own defense and this is kind of like a dream scenario for him when they they signed him a couple years ago for a a minimum deal here over three years so that's how's they coming in strong here BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. to refresh your closet, home, or beauty routine this spring? Walmart's got all the stylish goods in one stop. From chic new looks and the latest makeup to quality furniture and tableware. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending for the hottest fashion, home, and beauty finds. Your style at Walmart. The one thing that he hasn't shown is just an ability to like be to close out and go to the rim. And that yeah. that's kind of what Duncan Robinson evolved into was like you're going to be so so focused on taking away his three that he had to develop the next level. 
and we haven't really seen Sam Hauser get to that yet. I, I'm sure it's something he works on. I'm sure it's something um, that's the coaching staff has harped on to him, but we haven't seen him get to that. But everything else, I think it's funny because he didn't get an offensive rebound, I don't think, against Toronto, but he was close to like four. Like he basically had four in his hands and they just like bounced out of bounds. <laughs> and he he seems a little stronger defensively like last year he really got bullied uh he said he spent a lot of time in the weight room over the offseason i don't know how many pounds of muscle he gained packard so i'm sorry about that you should ask him and then wink but but he's (laughs) playing like it's just important to have that level of sharpshooter around the other guys in the lineup and he and tatum especially like if you're not going to switch a screen with him and tatum it's just going to be super difficult to stop and if you switch you might be screwed anyway but like the raptors were not switching the actions when hauser was setting screens for tatum and it was just like basically just a a pop every time and he was wide open <laughs> it was like why, why are you guys still continuing to guard it that way he's going to get open and he shoots 40 something percent from three am i crazy to think that he's been like a little bit more trigger happy this year with his shot it feels like it's almost instant whether or not he's like not it doesn't really matter how much he's uh covered or how much the contest is he's shooting and he knows he's in the game to shoot threes he's shooting threes in transition he's like anytime he gets a ball behind the three-point line it feels like he's going up with it and i know that's always kind of been his thing but for some reason this year it just feels like he's been especially trigger happy and when it's going in it's like super helpful um the thing you compared him to like Duncan Robinson involving his game are teams like, I don't think they're chasing Sam Hauser around screens and they don't really, this like Celtics aren't running a bunch of like off ball screens for Sam Hauser. He kind of gets his shots more than the natural flow of the offense. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of consistently shoot if they try to use him more as a, as a weapon now rather than uh, a spacer. But it does feel like he's very gung ho uh, and trying to get up, get up as many shots as possible when he's on the floor. To your, to your point, he's, shooting 11 threes per 36 minutes he's making five threes per 36 minutes so those are both high volume numbers and it feels like i could be wrong this is totally like just eye test nonsense that i could be lying to that's why we have a podcast baby for eye test nonsense it feels like his release is even a little quicker this year than it has been in the past like he he's really getting getting them up quickly the uh the one he hit in the corner when Pritchard had an offensive rebound and just kind of shoveled it to him. And there were two guys right in the vicinity. It's just like right in his shot pocket and gone. He he might be one of the most like his shots one of the most beautiful in the league. So especially high the arc. Yeah. The arc is just like so soft. It's it's crazy to watch. He had a couple on against the Nets where he just like the net doesn't move, and that's always just like a very cool thing that I feel like only Hauser does on this team. Ninety-one percent of surprised. his attempts from three point. I'm range. surprised B Rob picked something positive last <laughs> week. He went all negative. No, hey, last week I was like, "What's up with Pritchard?" Then he had two terrible games. I stand by my my picks last week. We had to we mix it up here. Um, my other choice here is I'm defensively I'm impressed slash surprised at how elite they are in certain categories through these first eight games. So they're third in defensive rating right now. They're not forcing any turnovers again this year, 29th in the league in that category, but they're top I'm five. In, that one. Yeah. Right. Um, but they're top five in all of the other defensive four factors. So they're, they're not fouling. Uh, they're number one in the league and got teams getting to the line against them. Um, they're second in field goal defense efficiency. And I think maybe a big surprise of them going small. They're fifth in defensive rebounding. So I'm for them to be where they are this soon in that group, especially when you're you're starting Porzingis at the five, you're like going smaller there as opposed to you know the double big is supposedly supposed to give you, you know, the better defensive look there. For them to be where they're at on that side of the floor, again, is creating pretty impressive upside here in terms of what this team's ceiling is, at least over the regular season here, because they're obviously blowing doors in a lot of these games already, and 
the chemistry on that on the floor has kind of come together pretty quickly. Yeah, they uh and I'm not surprised that they're great defensively. I figured they would be. I just it just feels like they have a ton of options. And uh, like the the Philly game, for example, and I I do think the starting lineup could be vulnerable to like the real dominant physical guys like Giannis, like Joel Embiid. But they throw Drew Holiday on. Like Jakob Pertle. Yeah, like like Jakob Jakob Pertle had his way with Kristaps on like five possessions and then the Raptors. He did, and and Kristaps went the other way and scored on him a lot too. But yeah, Jakob Pertle, like first possession of the game, just seal, easy bucket, then went right at him, drove right at his chest like two plays later. And, And you can see that super physical guys... And I'm not talking about the Jakob Pertle. Sorry, sorry to Jakob Pertle, as, as good as he was. Um, but they just don't have like the perfect matchup for those guys when they're bringing out Horford off the bench. Using Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid, it worked to to some extent, and it worked really well in that game. I don't know if it will over a long sample size, but I I just I like the way that Joe Missoula is trying a bunch of things this year. Um, it seems like like they're they're full court pressing two two one and taking the shot clock down. They're they're trapping. It seems like more often they're like Drew Holiday has guarded Julius Randle, Carl Towns, Joel Embiid, and was a primary matchups for Joel Embiid, which is just crazy when you really think about it. Um, And so I I just feel like Joe has gotten more comfortable being aggressive on that end. And, and you can see it and you can feel it. And I just feel like their defense, even though the numbers aren't very different from what they were last year so far, they just hit harder now than they did a year ago. More curveballs. Definitely more curveballs. Definitely a Barry Zito type. Um, I think that it feels like they're they're forcing other teams to take the kind of shots that the Celtics want them to. Um, and I'm stealing this stat from Zach Lowe on the low post, but it's like they're giving up a bunch of threes, but barely any corner threes. And so it feels like they're funneling like that's like obviously like a deliberate choice. And it feels like they're funneling teams into the shots that they want. Obviously, Chris Tapps has been a pretty good rim protector, and it feels like where they've at all struggled on defense is just when guys like Maxi or Anthony Edwards, um, and in some regards, I think Jalen Brunson in the second half of that Knicks game, when they hit kind of the tough two-point shots. And so I just think the Celtics have been, in addition to kind of all of those curveballs, they know ex- like where where they can kind of let up or where they want or they're fine with other teams taking shots and not giving up corner threes and not giving up the rim feels like it's led to kind of those defensive numbers, despite the fact that they haven't done nearly enough to kind of generate turnovers, which still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I don't know how I don't, I I really thought this team was going to be much better at generating turnovers than it was last year. And that just hasn't been the case so far. It's kind of weird, but maybe part of it is like, and Hauser, I guess he's, he's had some steals, but it's like, they don't really bring anyone off the bench who's going to force turnovers either. Also, if you're funneling teams to the rim and it ends in like blocks or contested shots, there's not as much turnovers, but it still can like get out and transition and, and cause some things, but it's not necessarily like the turnover. I also wonder too, like with Drew Holiday, when you put Drew Holiday on bigs, you're taking away his ball pressure too. Like, I mean, obviously he can, he's forced deals, he's forced a ton of turnovers, like unbeat stuff like that, but you're not getting his, you know, he's not getting into the ball handler as much as he would in a normal game, you'd think. Yeah, that's a good point. Your pick, Jay? I'm going to go with ball movement um, because it was up and down this week. <laughs> and just like they are 24th right now in assist rate, which isn't great. They were fifth last season. And I, I just feel like that's where they're still developing. Um, just knowing exactly how to use players, just like using Kristaps gravity to lead to ball movement sequences elsewhere. Using 
you know, Jason Tatum to to start those sequences that he, they did so so well last season. Um, and the the end of the Minnesota game was like just disgusting ball movement wise. They had three passes over the last four minutes, excluding one inbounds pass, which is just unfathomable really like that's that a real statistic three passes yeah, I, in four minutes i i watched i watched it and counted and it was it was not hard to count because i was <laughs> able to do it on one hand um so yeah i just feel like it's not necessarily the most important stat for the celtics because a lot of the time like when they go to the post-ups, a lot of the time their spacing is going to be so good. Teams are going to hug up on the three-point shooters. You're going to want to go one-on-one. A lot of times in transition, like they have a number of guys who are good at shooting pull-up three-pointers or can hit pull-up three-pointers at least. And that's a dangerous shot for opponents to need to defend. So you want to shoot those. So the assist rate won't necessarily be like the defining stat for this team. But I think it's going to be something to kind of monitor to to determine how well they're progressing in playing with each other, how well they're progressing at attacking certain coverages, how well they're using Porzingis and his gravity. Um, it, it just feels like that's going to be – and they had, I think it was 20 – eight assists and 29 assists over the last two games. So they're trending in the right direction there. And, and they've had a couple of nice games in a row after not really being great against Minnesota at all. And then being so, so against Philadelphia, I thought. So just feels like that's an important development right now for the Celtics. We get it. Distractions happen. That's why we designed the fully electric, full-sized Volvo EX90 with the latest technology to keep you and those around you safe. Its two-sensor driver understanding system is designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Reserve your Volvo EX90 today. Learn more at volvocars.com slash US. Yeah, the sequencing. Go, go, go ahead, ahead, Jim. No, no, I, I didn't, have a, even, didn't even have a good take, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think... Especially in those Minnesota and Philly games, to your point, Jay, like there wasn't, you can't remember many, I mean, the overtime was, is what it is in terms of how bad it was, but there wasn't even many sequences of that game where you're like, ooh, that was a good ball movement possession, where they like, even for the shots they missed, they weren't getting a lot of, producing a lot of that against elite defensive teams. And so that's something, I think with time here, with figuring out, you know, the best lineup combinations and then figuring out everyone in the, you know, figuring out where to look, being like, okay, where are they, we got the switch on Porzingis here. Where do we go? Like, where's the the next pass to come here? So the reps for that front should come with time. And I think the big part of it now is like you, they at least made all their big moves on that, like before the season. And so you have 82 games to figure that out now, like as opposed to trying to trade for a bigger name midway through the season and acclimate on that front. So that's, they at least and gave themselves the a long... Exactly. <laughs> Exhibit a, so that, that, uh, or like in order the Sixers away if they do something like that. So that that's that's gonna be something that they at least will have the time to figure it out. Yeah, and it feels more accentuated. Um obviously the lack of ball movement when there's a big rib protector in there, like go beer, go bear and embed. Um, but like against teams like the Nets or the Raptors, where they can just you know, attack switches, it's much less uh, much less of an issue, but obviously they have a lot of time to kind of figure that out. And they, for some reason, played the Sixers nine times in the first two months. So uh, a lot of early tests for them. And so hopefully they'll be able to do that. I'm torn, but for my last pick, um, because there's two kind of, you know, major events that happened this weekend. One was Joe Missoula almost causing a brawl with Dennis Schroeder because he challenged to play up 30 uh, with three minutes left. And then two was just the in-season tournament. I mean, we got a whole new court. And so um, I guess I'll, I'll I, my official pick will be Joe Missoula almost starting a, a brawl with Dennis Schroeder just because Dennis Schroeder is a baby and uh, always been hashtag blame Dennis. I don't know why he got so upset with that. Um he got more upset than everyone else on press row who's normally upset with the kind of a late challenge like that. 
Dennis Schroeder was more mad on the court. And it's just like, that's part of the game. Like, I don't, I don't understand why he was so, so furious. Uh, like there's random stoppages in basketball all the time. You're down 30. You're on the bench at that point, Dennis, calm down. Just calm down. I just thought there was a lot of time left for them to be mad about that. Like four minutes left. Peyton Pritchard is begging for <laughs> the review. Which and he does I think a lot. That, Pritchard begs a lot for a, a review. But I think that was part of it. And it was right in front of the Celtics bench, the out-of-bounds play in question. It was very clearly off the Raptors and should be Celtics ball. And Peyton Pritchard, who has worked really hard last season, even while he was in and out of the rotation, a lot of the times out of the rotation. Now he's getting a chance to play. And Joe Mazzula wants to show him, I'm going to keep coaching hard no matter what. And it matters to me that you have success and that you feel a major part of this. And so Peyton Richard is begging, and he, the ball is clearly out. And Joe's like, you know what? I got to challenge this. I got to keep coaching. And I think I understand why the Raptors were frustrated. It was a 27-point game. It was totally over. Missoula had probably played his starters way too long in the game right before that. he had, They had just checked out of the game, some of them. And so I get being frustrated if you're the Raptors. But from Missoula's standpoint, like he wants to keep coaching. And he wants the guys at the end of the bench who work as hard as they do to know that he's going to have their backs too. And so I, I didn't have a real issue with it from either side. Um, and I, I think both sides are understandable. But it, it was very funny that Peyton Pritchard was begging, begging, <laughs> begging for the timeout and review. And then it almost turned into a melee. <laughs> I'm just excited now. We got a return match on Friday night up in Toronto. So you don't get a lot of juice in November regular season games challenge revenge tour challenge revenge game like <laughs> out of the gate like look out and yeah like <laughs> to your point guy like like this is who joe mozula is as a coach like you look at last season like he was stepping on teams throats it's like at in these fourth quarters and that's why like be true to yourself here like this is like you said you want to coach hard the whole game like hey guess what raptors how you guys do something about it like as opposed to like complain about it like yeah you're down 26 there's not like there was 30 seconds left in the game like you said, it's like four minutes left. It's like, that's, if it's right in front of you, you're going to tell your team, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't, we're not going to give you guys that extra possession. It doesn't matter. Then you're not really sending a good message to those guys that you care in that moment. So, like, this is, I'm not surprised they got upset about it, but I don't think this Missoula should feel bad about it at all. And he doesn't. He, he doesn't. No, sure he does certainly not. doesn't. Well, here's, a, here's the other layer to it. He's just comfortable now standing on his beliefs. Right. If that happened last year, I don't think he comes out and says exactly what he did, which was, yeah, they were upset. And I, my responsibility is my players. I think he would have just tried to avoid the whole thing if he had been asked about that last season. But now, instead, he uses it as a chance to show his players or to, like, live up to his philosophy that he wants to keep coaching till the end and use that as kind of an example for the locker room. Look guys, like we're going to treat every moment as if it's a first quarter or like crunch time, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to keep coaching you. And I, I just feel like it was another example of how he's more comfortable with his beliefs, with the foundation of, of kind of his coaching values and and so I, I I think I like it for him to do that. I like it for for him to just just have principles, have values, and and stick by them no matter what. Like there was a it was a mini controversy. It doesn't really matter at all that the Raptors are pissed, whatever. But he stood on it, and he, and he stood up there, and he. If it's said, a lie, no. we fight on that lie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and he said he's like I don't even care if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> he said I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but that's my belief, and that's what I'm gonna do coaching. And I told my players that, and that's important to me. 
And that's something that's somewhere that I don't think he ever reached last year. Well, I mean, speaking of standing on his convictions and standing up for what he believes in, what are you guys going to do when in a press conference he references an article you wrote seven years ago? Are you guys prepared for that? I'll say that must have been one hell of an article. I'm sure it was great. I've been searching through my archives for the last week in preparation. Um, yeah, that's uh, it'll be. But yeah, to, to Jay's point on that though, like he is like he's he's leaning into it now in terms of his beliefs, and that is apparent across the board, like for all, all his interactions this past week. And so that's a situation where it shows the the comfort level. It shows the awareness and like, what are you more worried about? Like getting your players to buy in and like believing in you that they, you care to the end or like pissing off a team that you're killing by 30. Like that's not going to, you're not going to really be a factor down the line. Um, sorry, Toronto. But um, yeah, in my mind, that's like, you know, he's, you have to pick a side on that front. He clearly has decided that he cares about more. All right. I mentioned it before, but we have to talk about the tournament because it did happen. And Jay, before the game even started, before he even saw the court, had to go and be Jay, be a negative Nancy, and uh, say he hates the court, he hates fun, he hates anything new. So, Jay, you have now the floor to defend your position. Well, first of all, I have to defend myself because I'm not a negative Nancy. You are one of I'm the most po- negative I'm Nancy a positive guy. <laughs> I'm just willing to stand up. I'm like Joe Missoula. I'm willing to stand up. And if it's a lie, I'll fight on my lies. And that was a shitty court. And that's no lie. That was terrible. Watching it on TV, watching it on TV, it's distracting. It's gross. It takes away from the television product. They, The Celtics wanted the middle strip to be parquet. The NBA wouldn't allow it. Why? I don't know. It's stupid. It's so stupid. The whole... The whole thing is stupid. It's just a gimmick because the league has no other way to highlight that it's actually an in-season tournament. Otherwise, without those stupid-ass courts, nobody would have even known it was an in-season tournament game. It was Celtics versus oh, so it, it was boring. So it, it served its purpose of useless. letting you know it was it a was tournament puzzless. game? They should Good find court. another way to to – make their in-season turn to glorify their in-season tournament other than courts stupid ass courts that detract from the entire product of basketball it's a gimmick it's shitty it's terrible and i hate it (laughs) some of the courts didn't even work the red ones don't work red ones are blinding the red ones are like uv light the red ones are terrible being in person at the Celtics game on friday I thought it looked cool. I just, I I wasn't distracted. I do think it does not work well on television, which might be an issue for them, but in person, it kind of looked like all the players were like on a stage. They were elevated. It just looked different. I did not mind it whatsoever. They took it to like, you don't need to take it to that level of obnoxiousness that like the, as an eyesore on TV. I think that's like, I see what they're trying to do, but, and some of the courts look cool. But by and large, I think the majority are like, that's too much. If you're watching it, it's like you're it's distracting you from the game. And that's, I think, defeats the purpose of like the buzz they're trying to create with it. If there's one thing to attack, which uh, Jay, you were like you're talking about it before the game on Friday, that this is just a major windfall for big court because it costs what, like 50 grand to make a new court that the Celtics are going to use two to three times and then have to store it. There's like three companies that have just been making bank over here. And I just want to know, like, who had they went <laughs> in Adam Silver's ear to get a new court in here? Like these court manufacturers, normally you don't have to make a new one. Uh, but, you know, they messed up the one in Dallas. They had to make it twice. Like big court is coming here just uh, making it rain. And so that is where if you want to attack it, Jay, instead of yours, just uh, I hate change and things that are new, follow the money. like like the wire <laughs> yes <laughs> is there any other random observations notes anything else from the last four games of celtics basketball before we uh take off because i got nothing oh al horford scored two two-point field goals against the raptors so i thought that was cause for celebration uh 
even one on a post up. One was just a dunk, like in a kind of a semi fast break, but a real post up from Al Horford should be noted here on this podcast. Also, if Al was a post up, was this the first time that they rested him the first half of the back to back? Like, I feel like they've done that maybe once last year with Rob to stagger it, but I feel like that was a rarity. And I wonder if that becomes a more like they do that more strategically this year now that they're not like it's out in the open now. Now Joe won't be playing games being like, yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Like he might play, he might not. That'll be interesting. That's I think that's a good strategy for them to have, to be honest, when you're you're playing you're playing a small ball team on the first night, just distress them then. I mean, we yeah, also we're... haven't talked about Chris Tashworzingus playing in both legs of a back to back. That's true. That's a good one, Jay. Was and that, he did last year, dispute? I think, in Washington. He he usually did. It, it was something to wonder about. Um, just kind of how how much of a maintenance plan they're going to have him on, because his body has long been an issue, and keeping him healthy for an entire season and a playoff run is super important. So it's a good sign that he played and that they were confident in playing him for both legs of the back to back even though he didn't play many minutes because they got two big wins. Two giant wins. Uh, yes, the Celtics are now 7-2 and two, despite the brief uh, hiccups. We'll see. They got an interesting week coming up with the Knicks coming to Boston before they play the Sixers again. And then showdown of the challenge in Toronto uh, on Friday night. Still potable. We'll be here the rest of the week. You guys are listening to the free episode right now, but if you want to join us for the rest of the week, you can go to patreon.com slash still potable, where we'll be having post-game recaps, mailbags in the week. We're trying to foster the best Celtics fan community we can. We really appreciate everyone who is uh, participating in the chat, everyone who leaves comments and on the videos on the Patreon uh, we are still looking for our uh, ombudsman of people to ask us questions after our game after performance. We'll have to unleash that this week. So that's what should be fun. But yeah, I highly encourage everyone to come on down. If they enjoy the show, uh, sign up on patreon.com slash still potable. And uh, we're trying to build something here. And really it uh, helps the more you guys participate, uh, the more fun it is for us and the more kind of, we just want to make, as best podcasts and best videos as we can for you guys. So really appreciate everyone listening to this, the free episode of Still Parable!